If I do fail squirt, of course they mean it squat. That must be a misspelling. Y'all didn't do that on purpose, did you? From the global headquarters of the Asgard Company in beautiful downtown Wichita Falls, Texas. From the finest mind in the modern fitness industry. The one true voice of the strength and conditioning profession. The most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Thank you, Mark Wolf. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. This is our podcast. And uh, really, this week, this is kind of going to be like Ask Rip. And uh, instead of going like 10 or 15 minutes on Ask Rip, we're gonna, we're just going to just go on and on and on. And it's going to be so horrible that you won't be able to stop. You won't be able to stop watching. Okay. Uh, so right up front. Ask Rip is your questions, okay? And what we do is we take those questions on Instagram, on Facebook, on uh, – do we take them on Twitter or not? All right. These, no, these questions are from Speak Up. These questions here are from Speak Up. Are we going to continue to take them on Speak Up? Yeah. All right, so what's, what's, what's the Speak Up channel going to be? It's on your Q&A. It's on my Q&A. <clears throat> All right, look on my Q&A, and the address for Speak Up will be present. You can turn in your your questions there. Now, does that mean we're not going to pay any attention to Facebook? Nope. No more pay attention. Instagram? Fuck those people. Not going to do. They got to come to the website and look up the Speak speak Up link and speak easy link. The Speak Up link and go go to there to submit questions. All right? And the reason we're doing this is because, uh, What's that boy's name? Zuckerberg. Yeah. I'm tired of him. Right. I really, you know. Since vote. since when does a 22 year old kid get to be a trillionaire? I don't. That's not right. When the, uh, Just because he's clever once. When DARPA helps him out. When DARPA helps him out, he gets to be a trillionaire. Yeah, isn't that interesting that DARPA has admitted that a 22 year old kid is smarter at this kind of data mining than, than they are. DARPA is some bright guys, too, you know. I mean, these guys, DARPA designed the Y-12 back in the 60s. I mean, now that was a hell of an airplane, you know. Uh, the, the immediate predecessor to the SR-71. Uh, they designed that with 1960s technology. I guess they had some computers that were the size of semi-tractor trailer trucks and red cards and stuff, right? And do what now? UFOs? UFOs didn't participate in the design of the SR-71, as far as we know. DARPA, on the other hand, those guys, how'd you like to work for DARPA back then? Man, who did they get to work for them? DARPA's like five guys. They're just project managers. Five project managers, all of them PhDs from hire, MIT. And, and then they hire and, military co- contractors and professors and researchers to do all right. that. Right. So they just, just contract out. stuff out. They dream up the idea. They hire military advisors and guys with experience in, in engineering and design in that particular area. 
like if they want to if they want to design a anti-gravity aircraft and and shit they'll look up people that have experience with anti-gravity and hand them this project and a bunch of money and a, yeah like hundreds of billions of dollars and then they get an anti-gravity aircraft and they keep it in PS22 area 51 for those of you not in the know and uh and they just hovers around out there in the desert and and they don't ever do a goddamn thing with it. They just <laughs> they just designed it, and now here it is out there hovering around in the desert with no job, right? At a cost of three hundred billion dollars. So uh, anyway, what were we talking about before we started talking about the SR seventy one? Facebook, right? Facebook led us to DARPA, which led us to well, anyway. Okay. So here we have some questions. See all these questions? Now, this is not going to be over with anytime soon. Those of you that aren't interested in questions uh, might ought to go listen to Joe Rogan. All right? Joe doesn't take questions from the audience, but we do. We got that on. All right? Uh, I've got some of these picked out here, and I might just throw some in if I feel interested in it. Uh, this is in regard to the starting strength radio post. You say that you will not discuss sports. Is it talking about the future of women's sports, talking about sports and, uh, appreciate your efforts and the education I get from all of the SS information. Thank you, Rip. That of course was thrown in there just to, to mitigate the hatred, you know, from his supposed, uh, discovery of, this horrible contradiction. All right, let me tell you what discussing sports is about. Have you ever listened to sports radio? Right? The game was Sunday afternoon. And these idiots, Thursday, are still talking about what happened in the game on Sunday. Now, that's talking about sports. And I'm sorry, I lack the attention span. I don't want to see the game on Sunday. Now let me let me let me clarify my position on this. I don't actively dislike sports. I just actively dislike watching sports and talking about sports. I understand enough about sports to be able to get people ready to play the damn things, but I don't care what happened Sunday afternoon. I don't care about I have never watched an entire NFL game in my life. Sat down at the kickoff and watch the damn thing all the way through till the end of the game. Never once done that. Haven't watched an entire baseball game once in my life. Don't care about baseball. Baseball's boring. And those of you that are intellectual baseball fans are going to disagree with me on that. That's fine. I mean, baseball players got to eat. They don't need to eat as well as they do, but they, uh, they need to eat. So if you want to watch baseball, watch basketball. I don't care. Watch any of that shit. I just I'm, I don't care about it. It's one of the things I don't care about. I care about strength and conditioning. I don't really ever want to see another powerlifting meet the rest of my life either. Is there anything on earth more boring than watching four hours of bench presses? Anything. I, it's like watching paint dry, you know. The only, the only difference is every once in a while somebody gets killed on the bench press. 
Well, that doesn't happen often enough to make it interesting. So I don't want to watch another powerlifting meet. I just don't care enough about it. Uh, I've announced hundreds of the damn things, and they're old. I'm tired of it. So I'm not interested in even that sport. I I like to watch Olympic weightlifting. That's interesting. But uh, oh, and for those of you that keep asking Olympic weightlifting questions, I got about four of them in here about what we think about Olympic weightlifting, about what I should I would do to train somebody with starting strength in Olympic weightlifting, and first one thing or another. Look, I'm not going to talk about that because there are only about three thousand people in the United States in the entirety of the United States that that compete as Olympic weightlifters. There are, of those 3,000 people, there are none of them who are even remotely interested in my opinion about Olympic weightlifting, so we're just not going to talk about it. You know, it's just, it's just pointless. So quit asking those, all right, when you go to speakeasy to uh, post your – yeah, I know. I was being funny, Bree. So <clears> – <throat> It's just, it's just the way I am. You know, I'm funny even when I'm not funny. All right. So uh, back to the discussion of sports. Uh, we're not going to discuss sports in the way that sports radio discusses sports. We will discuss sports from the standpoint of our involvement with sports, which would be that of uh, the preparation of athletes for sports in terms of strength and conditioning. And other than that, we're – no, we're not going to talk about sports. We're not going to talk about sports because we don't care who the uh, Boston Celtics played last weekend or the Los Angeles Rams or the Oakland Raiders. We don't care about that. Uh, we don't care about uh, – uh, we don't even know who the Phoenix Suns are. Does Phoenix have a baseball or softball? I mean a, a hockey. Hockey, hockey team. They have a football team now. They don't. I don't know either. The Phoenix Diamondbacks. The goddamn uh, Topeka Braves. The Peoria Pirates. The Oklahoma City Jazzercisers or whatever. <laughs> You people in Oklahoma, if Texas secedes, and we will eventually, we'll take you with us if you're nice. All right, we might even take Louisiana with us too. They're all basically friends. They you know. fix, their, fix their roads first. Who? Louisiana? No. Fix their roads? Oklahoma? They're not going to fix the roads up there. I don't, want I don't know what they don't know. There's anything wrong with them. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's actually true. They have no idea there's a problem. Okay. So that's it for discussion of sports. Or right, here's a cute one. How did your best fishing adventure look like? Where, where did you get the idea that I went fishing? I hadn't been fishing in 40 years. I, you know, the last time I went fishing was, oh, God almighty, it was probably 40 years ago. And it's been proven over time that I catch exactly the same number of fish if I go fishing as if I don't go fishing. So I don't go fishing. Just sitting there waiting on a fish to make a decision, that's just, <laughs> that's not anything I'm interested in doing. So, 
All right, now, let's see. Here's a good one. The over-60 market is largely untapped. Have you considered what metrics are necessary for a starting strength gym targeted to 60-plus? Well, first thing you'd have to have is enough 60-plus people who uh, were concerned enough about their effects on their own health as opposed to their doctor's effects on their own health to uh, make the 60-plus market viable for a starting strength gym. Now, that having been said, starting strength gyms are placed in markets with large numbers of people. We will not have a starting strength gym in Wichita Falls, Texas, because there's only 100,000 people here. And, in fact, there's always only been 100,000 people here. It hadn't grown at all. This is not the kind of market that would be even remotely considered for a starting strength gym. The the demographics of the gym in Dallas would would certainly include enough people that are over 60 that uh, that have the requisite interest in their own outcome uh, to do this. Uh, to to make the the starting strength Dallas location is probably going to be dominated by an older demographic, as will most starting strength gyms. Sixty plus specifically is not really probably where the vast majority of the membership is going to be. Most of the most of the membership in a starting strength gym is probably going to be somewhere between forty five and sixty males. There'll be some women, but this is the resistance training business in uh, outside of collegiate athletics is largely a male-dominated demographic. Not our fault. We'd like for you gals to join with us and get strong. The fact of the matter is that hadn't been proven to be the case. Uh, all of our gyms will have a few women in it, but this is largely a male-dominated demographic. And what can I do to change that? I don't know. We don't actively prevent people from coming to our seminars that are women. Uh, I mean, we also don't actively prohibit people from coming to our seminars that are over the age of 60. What we find is, is that most people everywhere, not just uh, old men, not just women, not just the other people that that are outside this demographic, most people are not really interested in doing hard stuff that will have an effect on their health. Most people would rather have a pill. Most people would rather take glucophage than do squats and deadlifts. And as tragic as that is uh, to you and I, that is the case. That is the case. Most people would rather just take the pill. Most people would rather shoot insulin because it's just so easy to do. You only have to stick yourself two or three times a day. But squats and deadlifts, God, man, it's hard. Heavy weights? I don't want to do that. Once again, we're narrow casting. I've said this 100,000 times. We are broadcasting with this podcast with Starting Strength Radio broadcasts, but those of you that will receive the message, those of you that actually are listening to what we're saying and doing it, are a narrow subset of the general population. And I'm afraid 
it's always going to be that way, human nature being what it is. I'm afraid that's the way it's always going to be. So there's really not anything we can do about the metrics necessary for a starting strength gym targeted to 60-plus. I don't really know what you mean by metrics, uh, except to say that every starting strength gym will be placed in a market with a significant 60-plus population, just in terms of the concentration of 60-plus in any market that's big enough to hold a starting strength gym. We're going to be there. It's up to you to get them in. We can't make them come in. Now, we've got a book. The Barbell Prescription is specifically designed to tell people why that particular demographic needs to lift weights. Dr. Sullivan, Andy Baker did a masterful job of writing this very, very important book. But if, if you can't get them to buy that book, you're certainly not going to get them to come into the gym. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't worry about that too much. I think that eventually as we operate these gyms in the markets we're going into, and as 62, 3, 4-year-old people start training, stop hurting, start being more mobile, stop getting sick, stop getting diabetes, stop doing all the things that their sedentary buddies are continuing to do so successfully, that the light will come on for a few of them, but not most of them. Unfortunately, this is a, a, a human tendency, the lack of personal responsibility. I mean, that's why socialism is so popular. You know, lack of personal responsibility is a, is a hallmark of most of the human race. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. We can't do anything about that. So, we're just making an opportunity for people that don't feel that way. And this is going to be a great opportunity. And I think possibly over time, the attitude may begin to change once they see that uh, what happens when you get stronger carries over into every aspect of your life, your health, your brain, everything about it psychologically, physically is a net positive. But to some people, to most people, the need to get under something that's heavy and unpleasant for 30 seconds outweighs their desire for another 10 years of healthy existence on the planet. I don't know why that is, but I, that's nonetheless, that's the truth. Okay, let's see. Okay, failing a lift. Here's somebody that wants to know about failing a lift. I am currently working through a novice linear progression, and reading starting strength. I usually lift solo as I have not found a consistent workout partner. If I do fail a squirt, of course they mean squat. That must be a misspelling. Y'all didn't do that on purpose, did you? Because that is kind of gross. And uh, Copy and paste. What's the safest way to bail out without a spotter? Well, uh, you set the squat down on the pins inside the rack you're squatting in. That's what the rack is for. Now, there is no safe way to bail out of a squat uh, in the absence of bumper plates and a large amount of space. If you're doing this in your garage, 
you start bailing out of squats, you know, jumping out from underneath them, you're going to just fuck everything up in a garage. And look, as far as I'm concerned, if you fuck everything else up in your garage, that's fine with me. You shouldn't have bailed out of the squat. What you should do is be properly equipped to train. You need a rack. You need pins set inside the rack. It's proper height. If you get stuck, you just set it back down on the pins. You good morning it back down onto the pins. Nobody gets destroyed. The bar didn't get bent. Holes aren't placed in the sheetrock. Windshield doesn't get knocked out of your car. None of these things take place if you're properly equipped to train. And properly equipped to train the squat by yourself is probably going to mean a power rack that you that is deep enough for you to squat inside of. Unfortunately, you have asked this question in a way that leads me to believe that you have watched people on the internet uh, jump out from under a squat with bumper plates on it. CrossFit, among other things, has taught us that it's perfectly fine to jump out from under a squat. It's not perfectly fine to jump out from under a squat because, first and foremost, if you jump out from under a squat and you are not in the correct situation, things are going to get broken. All right? Unfortunately, probably not you, but the the surrounding material objects are going to suffer from being uh, having a, a squat bar dropped on them. Okay? Second, and this is really the most important part of this thing, if you give yourself permission to stop pushing on something that is hard, to the extent that the minute it slows down even a little bit, you just automatically jump out from underneath it, you're not ever going to get strong because you have decided that when it gets hard, you're out of there. One of the things you have to learn, one of the valuable lessons that the barbell teaches you is that even if it's hard, you don't know that you can't do it until you try. If the urgency is there, if you are not sure of the fifth rep of this set and rack the fourth rep, then you don't know what you could have done on the fifth rep. You don't know. You may assume that you couldn't have done it, but you don't know that for sure until you try it. And there's not a one of us that have trained for any length of time that haven't had the experience of getting to the fifth rep. It's time to ride the fifth rep down and come back up. And you say to yourself, you know, that fourth rep really felt like shit. I don't know if I can do this. But the workout says five reps of the third set of five. It says five reps. This is the fifth rep, and I'm going to do it. I'm at least going to try it. And have taken this rep down, not knowing whether or not you can come back up with it. And taking it down and hit the bottom, and driven back up, and it was slow, and it was hard, and it was unpleasant, you didn't like it, but you did it anyway. You were successful, having not known that you would be successful, doubting that you could do it, and proving to yourself by having the balls to do the rep, 
that you could in fact do things that you didn't know for sure you couldn't do. This is one of the most powerful lessons of barbell training, that your limits are not where you think they are. And until you make up your mind that you're not going to bail out of the squat, then you're not going to learn this. And this is one of the main reasons you ought to be here, okay? So that stupid question actually turned out to actually be a pretty good one, okay? I think I'm through with that page. All right, now, this is a good question, my recipe of the week. All right, I think I'm going to tell you guys how to make a Vesper martini. We may just make a video of this. That'd be a good video, wouldn't it? A Vesper martini. Now, the Vesper martini comes from Ian Fleming's novel, Casino Royale. It was featured prominently in the very, very good movie, Casino Royale, of the Daniel Craig series of James Bond movies. I watched that movie seven or eight times. I just love it. Watch it over and over and over. Quality film. Excellent. Never get tired of the damn thing. Just so cool. And a Vesper martini he just invents at the poker table. And <clears throat> and that is actually what happened in the book, too. Uh, uh, James Bond just jerks this recipe out of his ass, and it's just absolutely fabulous. So in the book, the recipe is, wait, let's do this. One part vodka, two parts Gordon's, half part Kina Lillet with a twist of lemon. And waiter looks at him and says, approvingly, takes it back to the bar, right? And uh, his later remark is, as he tastes it the first time, he says, you know, that's not half bad. (laughs) (laughs) So my Vesper Martini follows the same kind of thing, right? You have something to say? All right, let me break. Let me re-enter. Oh, Nick has a comment. From Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Three measures of Gordon's. Three measures of Gordon's. One of, one of vodka. Half of Kino Royale. Half part. So I was short on the gin, right? Shake it very well until it's ice cold. Then shaken with ice, ice cold, shaken. Very well it's ice cold. Pour it in a large thin slice of lemon. Put it in the glass. Just, just the top part of the zest. Not all the way down to the white if you can do it. You have to learn how to use your knife. You just want the zest. So don't put a lot of white on the lemon peel. Now, the way I do it is a little bit different. And uh, it ends up not being quite as cold this way, but it's going to warm up anyway. And, I, you know, I probably start ought to, ought to start using a chill glass for this just to get the, the, the cold effect. What I do is I will take the zest first. I'll zest the lemon. I'll take my very sharp pocket knife and I will peel off three or four, probably inch and a half, two inch strips of lemon peel. And I'll keep it up out of the white as best I'm able. And I'll put that in the glass. And the, uh, 
the the fact is is that I've used all the citrus fruits that are available to me. I've used lemon, lime, grapefruit, orange, tangerine, tangelo. That's about all we have here, but uh, I have found that the tangelo makes the best Vesper. It's just astonishing. And then what I will do, after I put the zest in the martini glass, I will put the one measure of vodka in on top of the zest, and I'll let it sit there a while. And just let it sit there and macerate. And uh, then I will take my, my shaker, my drink shaker, and I'll put five ice cubes in that. And into that, I will put my half measure, and usually a little less of that, of Kina Lillet. Now, Kina Lillet, uh, has had, the formula changed for Kina Lillet quite some time ago. And when it was, this was written in 1957, Kina Lillet had a little bit different, the actual label Kina Lillet had a little bit different flavor than it does now. And according to the experts, uh, a product called Kochi Americano is the modern equivalent of the Kina Lillet that Ian Fleming used in that first recipe. Kochi Americana is a, is a white vermouth. It is available in most civilized locations. So you're going to buy Kochi Americana for the Kino Lillet. And I usually will use probably a half, maybe a third of an ounce of that because I don't like to drink that sweet. But the, the, the Kochi Americana has got a bitter finish to it, as all vermouths do. So uh, that, that's just the way I make it. I just want a little splash of, of Kochi Americana in it. And then I'll put my three ounces of, uh, of a London dry gin. Now I've experimented with lots and lots of different types of gins. Beefeater is fine. Beefeater makes, Beefeater has recently started making a, a botanical gin that comes in a red glass bottle. And that's very good. Botanical gins are excellent in, in a Vesper as well. But if you, if you want to stick with the original recipe, Gordon's or Beefeater or some other London dry gin works just fine. Uh, I don't, I've, I have never tried Tanqueray. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not interested in Tanqueray for some reason. But, but uh, if you want to use Beefeater, plain white glass Beefeater, that works just fine. The best gin I have ever found for this is Leopold Brothers summer gin i don't know if it's made right now i think it was last year's product but it was a it was a beautiful thing it had some blood orange in it my god if you find it buy it and if you don't like it i'll buy it from you uh, leopold brothers is a distillery up in denver they do excellent stuff you just that's a great place to if you see leopold brothers if you see their regular uh dry gin buy that it's excellent excellent stuff uh, but the summer gin is, is by far my favorite for one of these martinis. And I'll put that in on top of the ice along with the Kina Lillet. Now, here's a little thing I've been doing. 
I add six drops of absinthe. And don't put any more in it than that. Six drops, you will not taste the anise. It just gives it a little brightness and sweetness that I really like. Uh, it's a subtle touch. You don't have to do it if you don't have any, you don't have any absinthe. But six drops, five drops, but not ten drops. You don't want the anise flavor. You just want the, the, the brightness that the, the, uh, the absinthe brings to the drink. And then what I will do is I will swirl in my, in my drink shaker. I don't stir it. I don't see how this alters the chemistry very much. I don't shake because I don't have a, a glass top for my drink shaker. I just swirl it around, and I'll swirl it for quite a while. Because remember, I'm letting the uh, zest macerate in the vodka. And then after probably, I may leave it in there five minutes because I want the ice to melt and thin the gin a little bit. So after that period of time, I'll pour the uh, ice, uh, the iced gin, Kina Lalay, absinthe mixture into the glass and drizzle it around so that some mixing takes place. And then I will sit down and enjoy my Vesper Martini. Now, <clears throat> the problem with Vesper Martinis is that they are extremely easy to drink. And two of these Vesper Martinis made the way I've just talked about are, you know, seven ounces of alcohol. And even for me, that's probably excessive, so I limit myself to one of these a night. And, uh, but I, I, I'll tell you, you, you will really enjoy this fabulous drink. It's, uh, it's a classic, and, uh, you know, good bars will make these. For you are in a good bar, you can get a Vesper Martini. They all know the recipe. They've got their version of it. It'll be different than this, though. And once again... Tangelo zest. Ooh, it's just lovely flavor. So give that a try, okay? That's the recipe of the week. Now, <clears throat> okay, people keep asking, if I was to write a fourth edition of Starting Strength Basic Barbell Training, what would I add, change, or remove from the program? And the answer is all of the changes that we have come up with are typically included as we do new printings. Okay, so look on the copyright page, which is the page behind the full title page. All right, just so you'll know, as you open the book, there's probably a blank sheet of paper. Is that right? Yes. Then there is a half title page, and that is the part that just says the title of the book. Flip over one more, and this is the full title page. This typically contains all the author's information, the, the subtitle, all this other stuff. All right, and then on the back of that is the copyright page, and it'll have the printing history and uh, a little code on there that we can use to see which printing we're in. It's you know like. Eight seven six five four three two that sort of thing. You've seen those things. That's that's code for the print run of that particular book. 
if you are looking at the one that says third revision, you are looking at the book that's got all of our current information in it. Some of the pictures have been changed. That was a major revision, and we called that third revision. All of our current stuff is in that. Now you ask, why isn't that a fourth edition? The reason is because in the book industry, if you call something a new edition, it gets a new ISBN number. If you issue a book with a new ISBN number, then the Amazon reviews no longer apply to that new edition. And we would have to reset our 1,500 five-star reviews back to zero. And really, uh, a new edition, I think the industry standard for a new edition is one-third of the material should be brand new. And that's that's not happened. If you If you look at all of the revisions we have made to the third edition, they don't come up to a third new material in the book, not by any stretch of the imagination. This is legitimately our third edition, and this is probably the last one we'll do. I don't think we are in the process of generating sufficient amounts of new material to, to come up with a fourth edition. This will be the last thing we do with this. And uh, the editions the that we make have gotten probably less drastic over the years as we refine this method. And I think that uh, the book in front of you, if you've got the one that says third revision, is pretty much about as good as it's going to get. Uh, if you have a copy of the hardback edition, that was the first version of this, uh, of this material. And I would say that if not obsolete, it is less than optimum. That's why we sell the hardback edition so cheap on the website. Those are primarily if you're interested in just having an autograph or something in it like that, something for your shelf in a hardback. We probably will not be making another hardback edition anytime soon. Although, now that I think about it, that may not be a bad idea as we have gotten down to the point where we finalized all these things. Uh, hardbacks are obviously more expensive for us to print, but, uh, I, it may, it may be that we need to think about a hardback, you know, since we're down to pretty much the final distillation of this material. We'll talk about that in a meeting. Let's have a meeting sometime about that. Meetings are so cool. And then, uh, uh, you can rest assured that if you have got the copy that says third revision on the copyright page, you're looking at the brand new stuff. Uh, it's worth it. It's worth it to, to get our new ideas on this and update. Just give the second revision to one of your buddies at the gym or sell it to him. Get 10 bucks for it. That'd be better. All right. And then you get the third revision and we will, uh, just march on from there. All right, now, let's see. Why is there only one starting strength coach in Canada? Well, the obvious answer is because only one person in Canada cared enough about the starting strength credential to obtain it. We can't control that. We don't control Canada. There's an argument to be made for the invasion of Canada and the annexation of Canada uh, we discussed that here in the office several times. Logistical situation is uh, is a problem. I mean, what do you do with the Northwest Territories? 
you know. I, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be worth it, you know. But, you know, 90% of you people uh, in Canada live within, what, 100 miles of the U.S. border anyway. We just annex that part. You know, I don't think the U.S. military would have any problems with you guys. And they've all been here, but nobody, nobody from Canada has decided to obtain the expertise necessary to pass this, uh, pass this uh, evaluation. Except for our friend uh, Craig Bears up in Vancouver, he's the only one that cares enough. Go to him. Do business with Craig. He's a good coach. And uh, he's our man in Canada until we decide to annex Canada. And then we can require that hundreds of you take the course, require that hundreds of you study for it. And we still probably only get five or six of you to pass because you people are not highly motivated. I mean, that's been my experience. So uh, anyway, there's, there's that. Now, what else? Uh, what character traits should be prioritized and cultivated to be successful in life and business? You know, that's, that's actually not that hard a question. What you should be if you're going to be successful in life and business is an asshole. You should be an asshole. Now, who's an asshole? Okay, let's think about this. I'm an asshole. My my buddy David Kirkham, he's an asshole. I, prominent business people are assholes. And an asshole is someone that you think is an asshole, right? I don't think I'm an asshole. I just think I'm, you know, good at a few things, and I've, you know, made up my mind and have some opinions about some things that nobody can change my mind on. I have the ability, though, to have my mind change when it's, when it's necessary, when confronted with, with facts to the contrary that, that uh, I currently have analyzed into an explanation. Sometimes my explanations are wrong, sometimes additional facts bear up the fact that I need to change my mind. So to the extent that an asshole won't change his mind, I'm not really an asshole. I am, however, assertive. I'm loud. I'm aggressive. I am uh, fairly intelligent. I'm not the brightest guy in the world. I'm fairly intelligent. I'm pretty well informed about things. I can make a case for my positions on things. And uh, as a result, other people think I'm an asshole. Now, <clears throat> if you're going to be successful in business and in life, what must you be? Well, you, you don't have to be particularly intelligent, but it helps. Okay, you do need to read a lot. You do need to analyze the things that, that have a bearing on your life and on your business. You need to see what works and what doesn't work. And as a result of that, you need to become well-informed about it. People look at you being well-informed and themselves being less well-informed will probably disagree with what you know to be true. That's okay. They're wrong. You're right. You're an asshole. You can deal with being an asshole. You can deal with being called an asshole. I don't care if people think I'm an asshole. I don't care. I don't care what people think about me. 
people's opinion about me is not relevant to my success in life or in business. You know, to the extent that uh, uh, I'm not sweet and kind and loving, uh, that may turn some people off about coming to our seminar, but I'm not concerned about people that are that sensitive. They won't be effective coaches anyway. When uh, we have people come to a seminar, we want them there because they want what we can teach them because they're going to use that information either for their own training or in their, in their coaching business. And if I'm a little bit of an asshole, if I'm a gigantic asshole, it doesn't make any difference as long as I'm right, as long as I'm able to help these people that come to the seminar improve their ability to train and to coach. So if I'm an asshole, that's fine. So that can be applied to any endeavor, anyone's life and anyone's endeavor. Be certain, learn, be right, constantly review whether you're right or not, if necessary, change. But don't half-ass your way through life. The fact is that if you are not half-assing your way through life, people will regard you as an asshole. And I'm of the opinion that if you're not regarded as an asshole, you're probably fucking up. Okay? Uh, let's see. Got one more here. Any hope of being a starting strength coach if my power clean sucks? Well, let me explain something. All right? A starting strength coach knows how to coach lifts. All right? To the extent that you can perform the lift yourself, you are going to be a better coach of the lift than if you never try it. Because personal experience with the lifts that you're trying to coach is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential for you helping figure out the problems that the person you're trying to coach is experiencing during the process of learning these movements. And this is very, very well explained by Steph in her video that's called The Coaching Eye. Now, anytime Steph puts a, a video up on the website, okay, you need to watch it. When she does things like this, she has better ideas 40 times a day than I've ever had. And when we get her to do a video on a topic that she's interested in, you need to watch it. You really do. There is nothing like the coaching eye. Anywhere in the literature, there's nobody that addresses this aspect of pedagogy that she does with the clarity that this video provides. You need to watch this. And when you get through watching it, you'll understand why you need to do the clean, but why your clean can still suck in terms of how much weight you're doing and still be useful to you as a coach. Now, if you can't correct your own arm pull on the clean, then you're probably not going to be successful correcting an arm pull for the person you're trying to coach. Those of you that have been to the seminar realize that I know how to fix an arm pull. And I come over and I get an arm pull fixed just almost every time. Not, you know, some people just 
are not good at, at these things, but I can usually fix an arm pull. And, and the fact that I know how to clean and I trained to clean for many, many years is, is responsible for most of the, the, the reason why I know how to fix these kind of problems with a clean. If your clean sucks, it's okay. If you can only clean 90 kilos, that's just fine. But you have to clean. Okay, if you're going to coach the clean, you have to do the clean. Now, let's say you're coming into starting strength coaching at the age of 60. Uh, and you are in a position where you've had injuries and you can't do explosive movements like the clean before. I would say that if you study the clean long enough and you're around people that are cleaning and you understand the clean theoretically enough to be able to explain it to somebody, and over time, do enough coaching of the clean, you probably can get away with being an effective coach of the clean without actually having done it. But not usually. Not usually. And a starting strength coach needs to learn how to coach the clean and the snatch. Starting strength coaches should do the clean and the snatch to the point where they're enough proficient and sufficiently proficient with those movements that they are able to help their trainees identify problems in the movement pattern, know how to go in and adjust things to fix it. Your own experience with that movement informs the corrections that you're going to make. And that's why you need to watch Steph's video called The Coaching Eye. So, yeah, you could be a starting strength coach without if your power clean sucks. Absolutely, you can. Uh, we don't look for championship lifting proficiency in any of these exercises. But it's been our experience that if you don't do the exercise yourself, you can't coach it effectively. And there's no reason to be afraid of the clean. If you're over 60, try it. It may be that your anthropometry is not sufficient to where you can effectively clean. Most people can snatch if they can't clean because of forearm length or this sort of thing, but you don't know you can't clean until you try to clean. I think you ought to clean. And then if it hurts you, if it jams up elbows and shoulders and hamstrings and knees and things like this, then don't do it heavy, but you need to do some cleans. You need to be able to experience the problems that you're trying to solve for the people you're coaching. This is just good advice all throughout a coaching career. If you want to be a coach, you got to do all this stuff. You don't have to do it well. You don't have to be very strong, but you have to do it and learn from your mistakes and learn how those mistakes apply to the people you're trying to coach. And I think that's that's obvious. But by all means, go to the go to the website, startingstrength.com, and look up Steph Bradford's video, "The Coaching Eye." And then, and those of you that are in ex phys class. Point that out to your professor and show him that he's not that bright and that Steph is. Okay. Well, I think that's probably enough of this shit for this week. Thank you for joining us on Starting Strength Radio. We will uh, see you next time. If you've got any questions you'd like answered on the next installment of When We Do Questions, kind of the quasi-ask rip, send them in. Uh, that location is available on our website. Speak up and uh, put them in there. See you next time.